Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people and how they do their thing is what I love to talk about. Today, my guest is an academic and an author. His name is Andy Scahill. He is the assistant film professor at the University of Colorado, Denver. And the reason that I'm talking to him is he is part of a new documentary that just screened at Outfest called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's all about the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which uh, had a lot of gay subtext and stuff going on and was sort of, for a long time, kind of reviled by fans of the series and then sort of came around to be embraced. And at the center of the documentary is the lead actor, Mark Patton, who was in the closet when he played the role and it really did a number on him, the, the, you know, the bad reaction to the movie and how he sort of took the brunt of, of how that movie turned out. He was kind of the scapegoat on it. And it's sort of his coming to terms with all of that, the things that he's been through since. Um, and then Andy sort of weighs in talking about uh, horror as a genre and why uh, queer people might be drawn to it. Um, and he gives a little bit of, uh, you know, academic substance to everything that's being talked about. And he looks very cute in his glasses. But before we get to Andy, um, I want to mention my website, DennisAnyone.net. I'm sort of moving all my other stuff to this website, so there's a little more there than there used to be. You can get all the podcasts. Sometimes I post extra pictures that go with different episodes. Um, you can also see all my short films. Uh, there's now a page for those on there and links to books, things like that, other fun stuff. You can also donate to my virtual tip jar. If you like what you hear and you want to throw me a few uh, shekels or pesos or yen or whatever it is, uh, Bitcoin, I don't even know what Bitcoin is, but anyway, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. It helps me pay for the expenses that come with the podcast. All right, without any further ado, here's my friend, Andy Scahill. Hey there, I'm coming to you from a very charming apartment in the Pico area of Los Angeles where I first lived when I moved here, but the reason we're here is for my guest today, Andy Scahill. Hey there. You're visiting from uh, Colorado where you are an assistant professor of film studies at University of Colorado, Denver. You're also an author. You've written several books on cinema, mm -hmm. um, but you're here because of a documentary that's an outfest. That's right. Yeah, it's called uh, Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, about uh, the infamously gay film Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Right. So I got to see the movie the other night. It it takes the... The, the subject of the documentary is the, the guy that's in it. Right, Mark Patton. Mark Patton. Mm -hmm. And sort of his journey with it. But it also looks at how gay it was and the undercurrents and who knew what and all of that stuff. Um, I love the movie. Yeah. I thought I'm it was glad. really... a. I really felt for Mark. Yeah. yeah. I felt like he got scapegoated big time. It is kind of the tragedy of his life, right? Is that um, he had this film which was going to kind of skyrocket him into fame potentially, and uh, he was closeted at the time, right? Gay actor, and um, here he wakes up, and this film is sort of tarred with this sort of gay reputation, and essentially ends his career. Right? So it's about homophobia in the '80s. It's about the AIDS crisis and how um, actors had to go back into the closet. Right? Yeah. How did you get involved in it? Because you sort of yeah. bring an academic voice yeah. uh, to the to the movie and talk about horror and, mm -hmm. and queerness. Um, how did they find you? How did you get in, involved in the movie? You know, it was me. I, I, um, they did a really great job of promoting the film. I right. think I read an Entertainment Weekly 
that this film was being made. And I thought, wow. oh, how fun. And I think I just wrote them just to congratulate them. About, right. Like, cool um, topic. I'm glad somebody's talking about this. Right. And we talked a little more, and um, they thought, you know, this guy, he knows his genre, and we need a little bit of that kind of um, academic backbone to, right. to the film. Um, and so I, we talked, and I was going to do an interview segment, and then I found some money at my university. Salisbury University of Maryland at the time. Okay. And I found some money to bring them in, and they ended up filming my classroom. I love as it. As we discussed the film in my horror class. And, uh, yeah, and, and now I'm kind of seeing myself as part of this really beautifully done humanistic story. It's, it's pretty amazing. I love that. When you have, you were rocking nice little glasses in the movie. You, you look know, very cute. It's, it's authority glasses. It's authority right? glasses. <laughs> your, your thoughts and your sound bites are very smart, and uh, it was fun to see you in it. I love that you reach out to them. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I, I've been kind of fearless in uh, kind of reaching out when people are doing interesting projects, Yeah, you know, um, and uh, to try to help them in some way or to be part of it, you know, whatever they, they need. I, I love that. Well, you and I met online. Yes. yes. Um, Friendster? A very old technology. Yeah. I think it was Friendster. <laughs> and I just remember striking up this conversation and then... Meeting for the first time, I feel like it was in New York in like 2009. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but I love that, and I've known you ever since then. And I've seen you out here a few times. Yeah. Um, so what got you into horror in the beginning? That's sort of like yeah. your emphasis in teaching and it, writing. It is. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> gosh, I, I've i always loved the genre, you know, in an uncritical way. Um, when I decided to go back to grad school and... Right. Um, kind of get my doctorate. It was originally in literature. Right. And um, I was interested in Southern Gothic writing in the 50s. Right. So, Truma Capote, Shirley Jackson. Right. Faulkner, you know, um, that era I find very interesting. And um, somewhere along the way, I had a really great film professor who said, I think you're better at writing about movies than you are about literature. You should think about going in and becoming a professor of film. Great, yeah. Great advice. And um, so I did that. He changed your life. He changed my life, sure, absolutely. When he said that, did you go, maybe? Well, yeah. film's sexier in a way. It is sexier. And, you know, the point he was making is that he thought I was a better visual kind of analyst right. than I was um, sort of the, the written word. Interesting. Uh, but a lot of that carried over. You know, I, Shirley Jackson was the one I was interested in. That's Haunting of Hill House. Right, the lottery. Right, right, classic. Um, a woman who, in the 50s, was really ambivalent about marriage and domesticity. Right. Right. Um, and all of her work kind of evidences that, that, that sort of like the home is a trap, right? Yeah. Um, or this decrepit place that, that sort of silences a strong, independent woman. Right. Right. So I was really interested in the, and those kind of gothic ideas. Right. Um, and then I started looking at the film and I got really interested in the figure of the child. As a right, your first book. So yeah, so my, my first book, um, The Revolting Child. In I Horror feel like Trauma. you were doing some conference out here. I went and saw you speak about this. Yeah, you know, it was soft I, subject, creeper kids. I probably talked about maybe the bad seed. Yes, that's what it was about. Okay, yeah, nineteen fifty six, the bad seed. That's really the first monstrous child. Right. Um, in cinema. And How was that reacted to at the time? But it was based on a book or a play. It wasn't a movie first, So right? it was a book by a man named William March. Right. Who, um, interestingly enough, was a closeted gay man. Interesting. I know that now. Um, it got adapted into a play and then very quickly into a film. 
and, and this is 1956, so a really sort of banner year for strong censorship code. Right. right? Um, it really breaks down at the end of the, the decade, but 1956, um, man, it's hard to get things by. Right. And here's a very popular play and novel about an eight-year-old who commits murder, right? And so how do you get that to, to the screen? Yeah. Because it was an interesting question for them. Right. And then other movies followed after that with, it's, who's your favorite creeper kid in the movie? And I, you know, um, I, I have to say The Exorcist. Reagan. Reagan you know, was, was just something otherworldly for the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was an event. It's one of those movies that everybody in the country saw. Right. Or tried to. I, I didn't see it. I was too scared and yeah. I was too young. But it was always lingering, like sure. this experience that I haven't had. And then I did go and see it finally as an adult. Mm. And it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think I had in my head that it was this perfect family that this happened yeah, to. But yeah, no, it yeah. was this kind of selfish actress, mm. honor, like woman. Yeah, and, it, like it wasn't like the, the nuclear family no, gets no, possessed. No. You know, and I, I find The Exorcist to be an immensely conservative film. And part of what it's saying is look what happens in these like households of women. Yeah. Right? Look what happens in the absence of patriarchy. Right. Just like daughters become There's, monsters. Which is the same in the bad seat. There's a yeah. lot of similarities between those. And so part of the exorcist is this sort of Catholic punishment of working mothers. Yeah. Interesting. Because um, she was an actor. She had a career. Actress, yeah. This is what happens when uh, you leave the home. Absolutely. Do your own selfish pursuits. Yes. And so who has to come rescue the day? But... But... God or the yeah, father, right. or the, yeah, capital like patriarchy yeah. with a capital P, right? Um, oh my God, interesting. So, yeah, so that's really what it's. It's patriarchy to the rescue. Same with the bad seed. That's also patriarchy to the rescue, right? And like, look at the sort of terrible households these these women have when men go off to war. Yeah, is the bad seed. Is there a difference between when the the little girls? bad yeah or the little boys bad sure, absolutely so like Damien versus reagan perfect example so when boys tend to be monstrous in the horror film they tend to become evacuated right they become silent sallow right, right. most sort of um uh they're, they're shelled they're right? blank they're not active which is the problem right right because boys are supposed to be active Right. Girls are supposed to be passive, and so monstrous girls tend to be bodies out of control. Yeah, they're shoving a crucifix down in their vagina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, the most sort of egregious. And and so monstrous girl, or think of Carrie White. Yeah. The monstrous girl is is that who takes too much space, is too out of control of her body. Who doesn't know her place. Yeah, exactly. Those gender norms, right? Ugh. Yeah. Right? So. What was the first scary movie you remember seeing? Um, great question. I am going to say the one that impacted me was Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, so 85, I was, uh, seven years old. And what effect did it have on you? Um, the very idea that you couldn't be safe in your sleep. In your own dreams. is terrifying. Right. Right. Um, and, and that there's literally no place to hide. Right. Um, is, is a sort of really uh, dangerous idea, I think, for, for a child who is about to go to sleep, right? Right. Because that sleep is that uncontrolled space. Right. And you plant that seed in a child's mind that when you go to sleep, this is where the real terror happens. Oh, and, and everyone knows nightmares. when you're a kid and you're watching scary movies, you're like, you're going to have nightmares. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, that's the worst thing you say after this movie. Right, right. Because it's it's a it's a nightmare film about nightmares, yeah. right? And it feels like almost like an engine that produces nightmares. Right. Do you remember seeing part two at any point before you became involved in the project? Do you remember the first time you saw it? I do. Um, I, I remember very little 
except I remember um, in my nine-year-old head, I, I went, I think that's a gay bar, right? Yeah. In the movie. That's really what I remember from the movie. It was, I felt like my, I'm sure it was my first glimpse inside of a gay bar. That, and and if you remember Police Academy's gay bar scene. No, I don't remember that. Um, so the, um, uh, the, the protagonists are kind of on the run and they escape into this alley and into this doorway and um, they're naked. Right, and is it Steve Gutenberg? Is he Steve in the Steve Gutenberg, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, and um, it's called the Blue Oyster Bar, it's right? The gay bar, and they go in, and suddenly all these men who look like uh, they're right off the set from YMCA, right, are there, and the guys drop the uh, shock, drop their uh, trash can lids, yeah, and pray for broad comedy in that, right, right. But <clears throat> even so, even even in Police Academy, I knew it was a place you didn't want to be. Right. Right. That but was the but, impression but a place that intrigued you. Yeah, of course. Especially yeah. me, right? Because I was, I, I thought, oh, there were actually places. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that was my first, that, that planted that seed of like, wow, there are spaces actually. That you can. Somewhere in the world. Yeah. Right? And all the movies are telling me you don't want to be there, but hey, yeah. they, they exist, you know? Now you love to do like sort of deep dives into movies and, and stuff like that. Had you looked at Nightmare on Elm Street 2 through a gay lens before you get got involved with the movie, do you remember when yeah. you sort of looked at it as an adult? Um, gosh, you know, uh, it was always on my radar um, because my book is so interested in like young children. Right, it's not one that I, I kind of looked at academically. Right, but I knew of it as this super gay, you know, right. horror movie, and I and I had my own memory of like, oh, I remember there was like a gay S and M bar in there, right? I remember this sort of predatory gay gym coach. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't have been able to, from memory, kind of pick out all of those sort of... Well, it's kind of crazy when you go back and yeah. look at it. I and mean, it's almost like a juvenile subtext. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, one of my favorite moments is when, when you see a shot of the kitchen in the film. Um, on the back wall are those um, kind of brass cake molds. Yeah. One is a cock, like a chicken. Oh, yeah. And the other is a mold that's shaped like a penis. Right. Right? When he goes into um, the closet of his room... Uh, before he does that kind of little... The goofy little getting ready dance. dance. Yeah. We've so all done it. People talk about the dance sequence, but no one talks about uh, in the closet there is a board game called Probe. Oh, I remember <laughs> Probe. That's a good board game. But there's so many so many so... guys making gay jokes in this movie. Do you think they're on purpose or just... Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, I... And, you know, it's complicated, and we get into this in the documentary. For a long yeah. time, that screenwriter, David Chaskin, right. wouldn't fess up to the subtext that he wrote. Right, he wouldn't own it. He would say, well, it's not my fault you screamed like a girl. Right, exactly, exactly. And But um, eventually he did kind of fess up, but what he said, I think it was, says everything about the film. He says, I didn't set out to write a homoerotic movie. I set out to make a homophobic movie. Yeah. You know, and he's kind of on the record saying that. He said, you know, this... This idea of a queer monster living inside of a young man, any yeah. man, you know, in the audience, yeah. he's like, that's an idea I thought would terrify my 18-year-old moviegoers. Yeah. He's right. Yeah. Probably, in a way. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of horror movies where guys are the protagonists. It's almost right. always women, right? right. Are especially there other ones? Those, well, especially those survival yeah, know, where kind of horror movies. Where there's only one girl left um, at the end. Gosh, you know, I, I think it's such, it's such a genre of the late 70s and 80s, the slasher. If you go before that, um, you would rarely get female protagonists. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, like, I go to like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's right. definitely centered around um, the psychiatrist, male psychiatrist. Right. Um, <clears throat> Definitely all those sort of Frankenstein movies. And, uh, those were ten, those were centered around men. Yeah. 
The movie also shows this horror, horror convention culture mm. and how many gay people love that world. Right, right. Um, what, what is it about horror movies that might appeal to a queer audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of those really interesting central questions to ask. And it's one that actually inspired me to write my book about revolting children. Right, I love that I mean, it's called revolting. Well, you. I love the term revolting children. Well, you know, I think it works because I, what I'm talking about is rev children who are revolting physically, yeah. right? But also their bodies in revolt. Right. And, you know, and their bodies in revolt, often in these movies, against um, the church, the state, right. the family, right? All of these kind of heteronormative institutions, which is why I read the revolting child as a metaphor for queer youth. Right. I relate to that mm -hmm. kid because I'm not fitting in. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so these types. And of, I can't control it. Yeah. And the exactly. thing that's making me not fit in is something I feel like I have no control over. Absolutely. And, you know, um, if you look at the types of evil children in, in horror films, you have um, the child who has a secret, like yeah. Bad Seed, um, the child who becomes a different thing, becomes a monster in adolescence, right, right? right. like The Exorcist, um, the child that's not mine and I have to reject it, like The Omen, right, mm -hmm. or the child who has to go out and find others like them, like uh, Children of the Corn. Yeah. And so what I say is that we don't have a vocabulary to talk about queer children in our culture. Right, because by naming a child queer, we're inferring some sort of sex or sexuality on them. Right, right. Um, yeah, you can't even come up until they're like 13, 14. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like, so for last three people, the idea of a gay virgin is the sort of impossibility, right? Yeah. Because gay equals sexual contact. Right. So for us to talk about queer children is really complicated because in doing so, we often sexualize them. Right. Right. Um, so we don't have a vocabulary to talk about queer children. So I think in culture, in art, uh, in film, it comes out in these other ways, like The Monster's Child. Interesting. Yeah. So if you take something simple like, um, I read The Exorcist Against Conversion Therapy Rhetoric. Right. It's exactly the same. Right. right? They're trying to get her to be normal again. Absolutely. And if you heard any of this sort of really virulent, like, kind of Baptist stuff, it's like, there's a demon in him. Right. We need to pray it out there's of him. Speaking in tongues. Put hands and, yeah. on him and pray the gay out of him. Yeah. And, um, and so... Um, I, I don't necessarily think that The Exorcist is about a gay child, but I think The Exorcist gave proponents of conversion therapy a language to talk in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that relationship's back and forth. The idea like, of being possessed. Yeah. So, 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 you know, through The Exorcist and possession, possession movies, I think conversion therapy got a rhetoric to use. Interesting. That depicts queerness as a, as a terrible invasion. Yeah. Right? What movie scared you a lot as an adult? Um, gosh, the one that I think of immediately is a film called My Interior. Mm, uh, I don't know French it. French for Inside. Um, <clears throat> I'll just give the, the setup is um, a pregnant woman um, comes home from the hospital after a kind of um, uh, feigned um, uh, a birth, so it didn't happen, and there's a knock at her door. An older woman is there, and she says, I want your baby. And it becomes a home invasion film where she wants to get the baby out of her by any means necessary. Holy shit. It's terrifying. She should take a baby that's already out. <laughs> right, there's so many I around. Mean, just, um, you know, yeah. I really recommend the movie. The, the, the twist is pretty fantastic. That's crazy. The acting is impeccable. Yeah. But there's something about... Um, I get terrified of people in um, not in control of their body. Right? Yeah. That is a terrifying idea to me. 
Um, I'm epileptic, and so I'm probably sure that's where it comes from, right? The whole idea of losing control of my body is terrifying to me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I could watch, um, I don't know, I could watch a saw kind of yeah. every day, and, you know, I turn my brain off. I say, that's a prosthetic. That's, right. you know, corn syrup. But there's something about losing control of your body and losing control of your perceptions that's so terrifying to me. Like, what movies have that? Uh, gosh, The Descent. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, this idea of being buried alive is horrifying uh, to me. Yeah. It's not, like, it's not a horror movie, but that scene in Gravity, where Sandra Bullock is endlessly just spinning out into space, yeah. is maybe my nightmare. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's like agoraphobia and claustrophobia rolled into one. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're in this enclosed space, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Horrifying. Um, it I found very scary. Yes, and I love that opening because they 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 treat a kid the way you never see treated in horror movies. Absolutely, you know, there's this sort of um, I, I say it's like an unwritten rule in Hollywood that you um, can only do certain things with children's bodies, like only certain things are representable, um, and the act of enacting physical violence on a child has been just verboten. Right. You know, for a very long time. And um, you cut to, you cut. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you make it happen off screen. Right. right, right. right? Um, Rhoda Penmark gets electrocuted off screen in yeah. Bad Seed. Um, there was this case of um, Alfred Hitchcock in uh, the 30s for a film called um, Sabotage. Uh, it has a plot point where a child, unbeknownst to him, is, is carrying a bomb on a, a city bus um, that needs to be delivered to its checkpoint. And. Um, the bomb accidentally goes off, and the, the whole bus and the child die. Um, Hitchcock had to write an apology in a newspaper for that scene right. that he represented um, in any way, a child being harmed. Right. Wow, the fallout was so much. So much. And then, you know, 25 years later, when he makes uh, The Birds, that was a huge shift. That was the first time you were <clears throat> really allowed to see innocent child bodies attacked. So that's why you're right. It was... Well, that's... You know right out of the <coughs> gate, oh, all bets are off. Exactly. That's how it felt. You I know? Mean, we're not, they're going to do anything. Because, you know, I think um, a, a lot of movies put children in peril, but if you don't believe that they can ever actually be harmed, to, kids you, don't have, you don't have stakes. But for yeah. me, I'm with you. Like, in the first 10 minutes, I went, oh, God, there's different stakes in this movie, right? right. All of these children could be horribly injured. Yeah. You know? Or dead. Or dead. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I do remember... I I sat forward in my seat. I saw that scene. I was like, oh, this is something yeah. different. How do you like being a professor, teaching kids, yeah, young I, people? I love it. I, I mean, I can't um, can't imagine a job better for me, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I had a great professor in my undergrad who once described being a professor as the most unalienated form of labor she can imagine. Interesting. Yeah. The most unalienated. In that I see the direct results of what I do. You know mm, what I mean? Interesting. Um, you could see somebody grasp something or you absolutely. see their the light go on behind their eyes absolutely and i feel immediately connected to that right that, what do you wear to work um i you know i believe in a little costume magic i uh right you want to look like a professor i do i do I, and so i i like um i like a suit or a tie and a vest right often nice. suspenders. suspenders yes i bet you rock suspenders thank you sir you're rocking some now actually yeah my little hair yeah, bone, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. suspenders um but I'm also uh, a guy who gets very sweaty, so yeah. I have to think about that, too. That, well, you I mean, teaching, important. We've been teaching for 13 years, and on the first day of class, I always wear a black button-down. Why? Because I know I'm going to sweat. Right. Yeah, I'm always nervous on right. the first day of class, because it's such an unpredictable environment. Um, 
I guess that's another thing I love about my job is that it changes every 15 weeks. Right, and you sometimes get to come up with your own sort of courses. Absolutely. And like, what are some of the more offbeat courses? Sure. I mean, at this point in my career, I can kind of teach what I want. And it's yeah. so really great to be at that point. Um, I just taught a, um, a horror class, which is right. one I've taught more than once. Um, I've taught a class on film censorship. Interesting. Which is uh, really interesting. And that combines a lot of what I'm interested in with um, film and kind of taboo and um, especially queer representation, right? right. Um, and so a lot of that is invoked in thinking about censorship. And also, you know, the, the figure of the child is evoked so much in talking about censorship, right? right. This sort of not in front of the children idea. Yeah, you know? it goes together. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of my interests come together with censorship. Um, next semester, I'm teaching a class on yeah. Hitchcock. Nice. Uh, and the way I do, I'm gonna hit- I'm gonna fly out and take your class. Yes, I would love do. to take your class. I mean, you would love it because the way I teach Hitchcock is that we do. It's about a class in defining what the Hitchcockian is by looking right. at his films, and then people who've been influenced by him, right? Right, like Brian De Palma, or Scorsese, uh, Park Chan Wook, um, Almodovar. Mm. Right, all of those people are very influenced by Hitchcock. So um, we have kind of five core Hitchcock films, and then. And with each one, I kind of pair it with one or two yeah. uh, films that have been influenced. Do you ever get into sticky situations when the work is great, but the, maybe the person, we know more about them now? Or mm. like Hitchcock was kind of probably misogynistic or, sure. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do you do with problematic Filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think um, you, you can't avoid these things. I yeah. think that is the, the, the bigger problem. Um you know, when I was, uh, I remember when I was interviewed for an early job I had, um, one of the questions was, in your film history course, do you teach Birth of a Nation? And if so, how? Yeah. Right? I think it's a great question because it, it, it is um, a foundational film in American history. Yeah. It created much of the film grammar that we know today. It was the uh, the country's first blockbuster film. Yeah. You know? Um, but, you know, my answer was, well, you, you have to teach it for what it is. Right. It, it is a piece of propaganda. Right, right. Let's 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 not call it anything else. Right, right. Um, but it's part of history. It is part of history, and you can't you can't act it. like it didn't happen. Absolutely, you can't um, avoid talking about Lonnie Riefenstahl and yeah. the creation of the large scale documentary aesthetic. Right, right. Just because she's part of a problematic history. No, let's talk about that problematic history. Right, you have to bring it all in. Absolutely, but I think the other thing you have to do is part of being a responsible academic is to say. Um, D.W. Griffith created this work of propaganda um, that treated African Americans as subhuman, blamed them for the Civil War, um, is treated uh, murder as if it's a heroic act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be honest with all those things. But at the same time, you say, now let's take a look at what African American filmmakers were doing this, during this period. Yeah. How were they responding to Birth of a Nation? Yeah. And say so you talk about Oscar Michaud. Who I've never heard of. Um, the grandfather of black cinema. Nice. You know? And you talk about his film Within Our Gates and how it was at great risk responding to Birth of a Nation. Yeah. And critiquing it. Right? If you can imagine the risk involved yeah. for something at that time. What film that you show always blows your students' minds? Mm, gosh, that is a fantastic question. Um, <clears throat> you know, one film that I love to teach, gosh, I could pick one film that I think they are most surprised that they love is my, but one of my favorite films, um, Cleo from Five to Seven. I don't know this movie. Uh, I'm going to do all French films. It sounds okay. like today. It sounds like it. I'm a French and my guy, and I'm not. But um, 
Agnes Varda, a female filmmaker. During the one that passed away recently. Lovely woman. Yes. Um, she was so he, beloved, you could tell. She was so, uh, so it was such a sort of wonderfully dotty aunt, yeah. you know. Um, her Instagram was spectacular. Um, she was in a documentary called Faces Places, yes. right? I um, it. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful woman. And in 1962, she made this film called Cleo from 5 to 7. Um, and it just follows a woman through her day for two hours. Five to seven refers to the time that she's waiting to receive the results of a cancer test. Hmm. And in that time, she walks around Paris and she tries to control her life, right? In, in some way, but in, in the course of these two hours, really sort of mortality makes her take a look at herself, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's a beautiful film. And um, my students love it, especially my female students. I love it. Yeah. What are millennials like? Millennials get a lot of flack. Mm. Are there things about young people that that you notice that are sort of different than when we were that age? Yeah, yeah, and and I am certainly not one to, to kind of trash a generation. Yeah. Um, so I want to be kind of fair about this. Um, <clears throat> they're very smart. Mm-hmm. They're very um, capable. Uh, for the most part, they're very confident. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, some things that maybe like you and I didn't have at their age. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think, uh, I don't know what, what to blame here. My direct blame goes to kind of standardized testing mm. as changing the way that students approach education. Um, they are, uh, they're good with this sort of memorization, but not as good with the application. Right. And they're not you know? necessarily encouraged to think for themselves or. And this is because standardized test says, um, when you read Great Gatsby, agree, agree to these four things about Great Gatsby, right? Right. And if so, you get that question right, and you right. can move on, right? Um, and so that when, feels like not a fun way to approach art, any no, kind of art. I mean, uh, how could that really teach you anything yeah. about what humanities can offer for you as a free thinker? Right. You know, because um, that's what we should be doing. Right. right. You should experience yeah. things the way you experience sure. them. And you know, I tell my students, I'm teaching you how to break down film, but I'm really, yeah. I'm teaching you to be a thinker. You know what I mean? A mm-hmm. critical thinker. And um, and I think this is really important and why I'm a big advocate for you know, more funding for film programs is this is the primary way that our students engage the world is through visual media. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we need to train them to be critical thinkers. Right. When it comes to the primary way in which they engage the world. Right. Yeah. Because it's kind of like this idea that, well, like, film studies is just fluff. We need them to do literature. Yeah. But if they're watching movies every weekend, sure. teach them to... To take everything that there is to take Absolutely. and to get everything out of it and Absolutely. engage with it. Um, do, do your students ever uh, fall in love with you? Do you ever see the, <laughs> the person with their, their hand in their chin looking uh-huh. at you like dreamily? Or, or, or the Indiana Jones. Yes. Like, do you ever have that moment? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I bet you do, but don't notice it. But that's okay. And that's fair. And yeah, yeah. I, I have a, um, I think I have a pretty firm division between yeah. my students and me. I'm like, this is you. This right. is me. I'm not there to be their best friend. Um, right. I tell them on the first day, um, the way I do my classes, uh, you're an adult. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, think of school as your job. And if you, in the real world, which is what I think I'm preparing you for, if you um, don't show up to work and, you know, you show up the next shift and go, oh, can you catch me up on what I missed? Like, that's not how the real world works. Right. Right. Um, and so I, I tra- and treat them as adults as much as I can. Yeah. You know? um, what do you do with their phones? Are they on their phones? No, never. No phones, no laptops in a lot of my classroom. 
Wow. I know. It sounds like I'm from Your another... Your decision? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's from another... It sounds like it's from another generation. But, right. um, it certainly has students drop the class because a laptop is essential for them. Yeah. Um, it's not a note-taking heavy class. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what I'm asking you to do is, like, watch this three minutes of film, and I want you to be able to articulate what's the camera doing? What is the design of this? Right. Um, how does that impact me as a spectator? That's not... You yeah. know what I mean? That's not taking lecture notes. How does your job affect when you just go to the movies for fun? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the questions we, we ask is, like, you know, what does analysis ruin pleasure, right? Right, right, right. Um, I forget which um, poet said this, but he says, uh, do we murder to dissect? Mm, right? Interesting. Um, and so that's always the worry. And, you know, certainly watching things in a classroom environment creates a certain context. Right. You know, which is not the same as, you know, watching something in the theater. Um, we saw a movie together in Washington, D.C. when I was there. What was it? With Richard Gere. It was the one that they thought might be a Oscar bait for him, but it wasn't. Oh, right. It had, it had some legal word to it. Right, right, like right, right. Like Perjure or something uh -huh, like that. Uh -huh. It was kind of like a Bernie Madoff thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Concession or something like that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun, though. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, what, I, what I want my students to do is to be able to let the film wash over you because yeah. then you are getting in the sense of like what were original spectators might maybe like when they yeah. engage this and that's important to, to keep in mind but i also want you to be looking yeah you know and so i my hope is that i'm getting my students to be critical watchers and yeah. you know that you can do both like um I can certainly, like, let a film wash over me and enjoy it while I'm saying, oh, my gosh, this is really problematic. Or, wow, right. this, this is making – this is a really colonial film or, or what have you. Right. That old thing that they're doing. Right. Yeah. But I can – you can do both. Yeah. You know what I mean? I enjoyed Avatar even though I think it's Neo-Tarzan and not as liberal as it thinks it is. Why? Avatar's, like, the most commercially successful movie ever. Yeah. Why – but you don't see Avatar sheets. Like, mm -hmm. nobody takes it into their heart. No. I can't remember the characters' names. Yep. I saw it twice. Yep. I was blown away by it. I saw James Cameron talk about it. I was so happy to be there. But it doesn't stay. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. that curious? No, I think, I think you're totally right. You know, why does this sort of blockbuster film seem to have less of a reach than... Um, you know, things you would see at a cosplay convention, right? Yeah. Like, what film would be more cosplayed, one would assume. Right. That, but it's not. And, and I the think, most popular, the most successful financially movie ever that was sci-fi and fantasy. Right. They're like, not running around blue. Like, why are more people, would more people cosplay Freddy Krueger than a Navi? Right. right. Doesn't really make sense. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I find Avatar, the more I go back and, like, look at it. Yeah. It feels the more I see, feel how derivative it is. Right. You know what I mean? And the Navi design wasn't all that different. Yeah, you kind you know of look I mean? back and you it's, feel like you were kind of taken. It's kind of Doctor Island yeah. of Doctor Moreau ish. Yeah. So it we should have known from the font. Yeah. Oh God, that papyrus. Thank you. Oh, oh we God. could do a whole subset. But like, okay. but like, just a contrast. I mean, think about like the design of Geiger for yeah. the Alien franchise. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is immediately iconic right yes. and unlike anything else we've seen yeah you know what i mean the navi is just not that yeah you're right yeah. um we have a friend in common tom goss oh, singer yes. songwriter oh, and yeah. you are in his video for bears <laughs> i is... was like there's andy yeah that's one of my uh sort of weird claim to fame the thing that took my instagram following uh and it blew it up quadrupled it probably probably were you an early instagram adopter mm, no it's kind of late to the game yeah. um really and uh 
How did you get become involved in that video? It's a music yeah. video where Tom <laughs> sings about how much he likes bears, yeah. bear guys, specific, which he does specifically his husband, who yeah. is kind of featured as uh, in bed with him at the end of the video. Yeah, Mike, um, he's awesome. Yeah, fantastic guy. Um, you know. But you were the Tawny Contain of that of that <laughs> I would, video. I would love that uh, title. Gosh. Yeah, you're like I, the super yummy guy in it. And <laughs> throw away all my business cards. Right. Now they say the, the, the Tawny Contain of yeah, gay yeah. music videos. Yeah, exactly. Um, was um, that fun? It was great. I was living in DC at the time, right? Um, which is also where where Tom was, and. Uh, we we struck up a friendship. We ran in similar circles, and um, I was always an admirer of of his music. And um, when the the time came to do this video, they thought um, they had the call sheet was a uh, bait bear. Bait bear was my 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 B A I T yes or B A T E. It could really be <laughs> it either. It could be either. I'm gonna right. assume, I'm gonna assume it's a fishing metaphor. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess for for them, uh, I had the right look. There you go. Now, does that world ever overlap with school? Do mm. any of your kids ever come in and say, "I saw you in a music video"? Never. Maybe now, though. Yeah. Who now knows? that this is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like. It's to, not like you did porn or anything, no. but you know, I like to keep my uh, kind of professional life, my personal life, yeah, fairly separate. And it I works can. out okay. Sure. I mean, yeah. This this movie is putting me uh, a lot more kind of in the public eye. <sighs> Isn't it interesting, though? I'm sure you have your share of queer students. Hmm. The way they're able to be in college compared to probably the mm. way you and I were, or the way Absolutely. things are talked about, or yeah. do you ever kind of go, wow, there's been a big shift? No, I do, I do. And, um, and my queer students are, are so much more upfront about it now. Um, and, you know, they, they're teaching me um, sort of new language and new terms to even engage right. with queer identity. Uh, I don't know what non-binary is. Well, I, you know, I do now. And I, and what I've is had, it? I've had, you know, what we have is a, is a two-gender system, right? Right. And the sort of thought used to be that if someone did not feel comfortable being a man, they must want to be right. the other one. Right. right? You have to be one or the other. But I think this generation is saying no, that... A gender, all genders, bullshit. Right. You know what I mean, and that all of us exist somewhere on a continuum right. of a masculine, feminine, feminine, and that doesn't necessarily even have to equate to male and female yeah. bodies. So non-binary is just people who want to be somewhere in between. Right? There you go, and don't okay. feel the need to perform outwardly either gender. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So um, I've learned a lot. And, you know, um, and I've had trans students um, many, many years now in my class. And, um, you know, the, the strength with which they often kind of voice their opinions is, is really yeah. remarkable. Um, I, I teach, uh, I taught a number of sort of trans-themed films. Right. Um, so I've taught um, The Skin I Live In, Almodovar. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Do you remember um, an older uh, French film from the 90s called La Vie en Rose? Yeah. About a young boy who, mm -hmm. who wanted to be a girl? Yeah. yeah. I, te I teach that one. Um, gosh, what are some of the other ones uh, that I teach? Uh, oh, I, I've taught Tangerine in a genre class. So good. Lovely film. Um, and uh, actually, that was an amazing experience because I got Sean Baker to Skype in yeah. and talk to my students. He's, he seems incredible. I've seen him speak. really generous yeah. um, with his time. And, and, um, and that's actually something I've had a lot of success with is uh, having people in the industry um, to talk to my students. Who do you, who have you gotten? Um, let's see. So Anne Rossellini was the producer for uh, Winter's Bone. Love it. Uh, yeah. So uh, Sean Baker, um, uh, a wonderful woman, Anne Rose Homer, who did a mm. film called The Fits. Okay. Uh, which I believe is 2015 about um, a young black uh, girl, tomboy, who um, is at a school where she wants to be part of this competitive dance team, and then 
all of the girls in the competitive dance team start to have these epileptic seizures one by one, um, and they call it the fits. This sounds um, like fun. And and uh, and it, so it, it has a kind of passive and thriller feel to it, but she's using the fits of these girls kind of going out of their control of their body one by one as a, just like a metaphor for adolescence, right? Yeah. When you lose control of your body, and some girls want it to happen, and some are afraid of it, right? But you know it's inevitable. Right. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, and so that film, the film The Fits, is a little bit about um, that time when um, a child can no longer be ungendered and they have to choose. Right? Mm, and what fits. And what does that mean, right? Wow. And what are you willing to give up to fit? Yeah. yeah. What were you like in school? Were you super studious? Were you nerd? Mm-hmm. Were you popular? Yeah, no, I was a really, a really good student. Um, I'm a middle child. Right. You know? um, that probably defines me as much as being gay. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I was the student who... Um, didn't need much guidance. Um, right. I was pretty pretty self motivated, um, pretty nerdy. Right. I would say I, I you know I loved my kind of horror and sci fi and fantasy when I was a kid. Right. I'd go to the Renaissance Festival every year. Right. Was, would was, you dress up? Um, I do now. Yeah. Um, I didn't then. Um, I played in band. I was a theater kid. Right on. Right. That's cool. So I, I say I wasn't popular, you know, student body wise, but among my my you had your people. Theater kids, my band yeah. kids. I was, I was you found popular. your tribe. Absolutely. When did you come out? Um, when I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's early. It was. And, From, you know, it's, I think. it's more a story that, like, my, I feel like my students have, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't voluntary. I was outed. That's not fun. Not fun. Um, where, did you, where was this? In Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, suburbs of Cincinnati. And um, I went on a date with a guy late at night in the parking lot of a restaurant. I kissed him goodnight. I uh, was unaware that one of the cheerleaders from my high school was in the restaurant, so oh. it all happened. So so she went and blabbed? Yeah, next day. Uh, outed. In school? In school. As far as I like, knew. Like, was this a whisper campaign, or was there, like, a poster or something? No, no poster. Yeah. No, no, no um, locker graffiti but, or like, anything. like, did you hear? Did you hear? Did oh, you hear? Oh, sure, 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 sure. And did it get to your parents? Yeah. Um, I don't think it did, um, but I did come out to them because I just felt like... Let's get this band-aid all the the way off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. Uh, What about the other guy in the car? uh, I mean, uh, another kid from another school. um, Oh. So I don't think he got the same treatment. Yeah, he wasn't in your school. No. That's so the, it's so sexy though to go for a kid not in your school, <laughs> right? Exactly. You got to go outside. I mean, it's it's true anyway, right? Right. Like you go out of town. That's where it's at. Exactly. All right. You pick some questions from the observation deck. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what's the most provocative image or inscription you've worn on a T-shirt? Right now, you're wearing a T-shirt <laughs> oh, yeah. that is um, Chris Evans canoodling with Chris Hemsworth. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's There's a, two, you can have two more Chris's on the back. It's a dream of mine. Yeah. Really. What's really? your favorite Chris? Uh, I think I like Pine. Pine, my God, he's so beautiful. I I have a thing for eyebrows on men. Yeah. Like a Colin Farrell eyebrow, and I find Chris Pine's eyebrows are just, I want to lick them. Yeah. They're just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We like all the Chris's. Um, I have a t-shirt that says, um, uh, fat kids don't get kidnapped. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty provocative. Yeah, I mean, I was a fat kid. Were so you a fat kid? I find it really funny. Yeah, I think. Yeah. What do, what do people say when you wear that? It's a thinker. It's like a, you have right. to go. 
Is that offensive or not? Am I I mad? Am I whatever? Right, right, right. Is it offensive and on what level? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think it's funny because it's, it's, it's a sort of logic, right? That is just like, oh, yeah, they're, they are harder to kidnap, actually. You know, if you, if, if I'm a kidnapper doing a cost benefit analysis, that chubby one's going to be harder. Yeah. Right? Uh, to kind of cart around. Yeah. So. Where did you get the shirt? Probably online somewhere. I love it. So, you are a very handsome, sexy guy. Oh, thank you very much. And what was it like when you started getting attention in that way, having uh, grown up uh, probably not getting that kind of attention? Sure. Um, or was it a switch? Did it feel like a light switch had been turned on overnight, or was it mm-hmm. more like, you no, know? I, um, gosh, that's a really good question. I, you know, I, I lost a lot of the weight in college, and kind of when I came out and got, got a lot more comfortable with myself. But also, you know, you take yourself to gay bars and it's like, uh, you know, you kind of know your market value. Yeah, you kind of like... Kind of immediately. Yeah. And, and so I think I had that in my head. Um, I don't know. The gym was hard for me um, when I first started. And I'll say I was like 21. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't a space that ever felt comfortable to me. Right. Um, and so I remember uh, I would go just on the elliptical. Yeah. And I would just watch other guys work out. You know yeah. what I mean? And just like kind of see what they did so that when it was when I was ready to hit those machines, I right. wouldn't embarrass myself. You know right. what I mean? Um now now it's something really um I don't know. There's something really powerful about claiming space right. in that environment, which was once so terrifying to you. Yeah. Um and that's part of what I like about it, you know. Yeah. What was it like when you started getting attention? Um you always see yourself as a fat kid, I guess. Um, and, you know, I, I, I certainly liked it. I liked the validation. Um, there was a period in my life where it's like if I didn't go home with somebody from a bar, I felt crappy about myself. Right. Um, but a lot, I feel more confident now than I did then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and a lot of it came with that sort of really internalizing this idea that, like, not everybody's everybody's type. Yeah. And that's fine. You know what yeah. I mean? If someone's not into you... It doesn't have to be that kind of crushing blow to your ego. Yeah, um, there, I think there is something good though about remembering what it was like to mm-hmm. like, you know, that never leaves you. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I think Absolutely. a lot of people deal with that. Mm. Um, if you had to change careers tomorrow, what would you pursue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I would probably be in the film industry more than I am now. I feel like yeah. I'm kind of like outside looking in. Right. Um, but uh, the job that I think I would love is a location scout. Interesting. I think I would just love that idea. I love. When I go places, I'm always thinking, "Wow, this would be a great yeah. spot for a movie, right? This would be yeah. a great spot for this this type of scene." I remember being in the cistern in <clears throat> Istanbul, which is underground mm. water systems. Going, Ooh. why haven't there been a, right. a James Bond chase in here? Oh, yet? that's a great idea. I'm sure should write that. I know. I'm sure, no one's ever thought of that. Before. A, a gay James Bond, though. Oh, I know, right? Who's your favorite Bond? Uh Daniel Craig. <laughs> I mean, he's... But here's the problem with Daniel Craig. Yeah. If the movie's not up to, if the movie's not great, yeah, it's a little bit like he's so earnest and serious mm-hmm. that if it's a little campy, it's mm-hmm. a little like doesn't quite right. Everything's better be firing on all cylinders with mm-hmm. Craig, yeah, the no, script I, and everything else. I agree, I agree, and I, I don't, I find his kind of mixture of that kind of cool Brit with that really working class, yeah. and rugged face. He looks like he's been beat up. I, and, and this is this is what I think that franchise is needed is a little believability, right? Yeah, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't look like a pretty boy. Yeah, right. He's my favorite on-screen runner. Oh, I never thought of that. He runs like that. a little truck, like a little... Really? Yeah. I'm going to go look up some gifts. Yeah, now. when he runs. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. 
What's your best random celebrity sighting? <laughs> um, when I was in Columbus, Ohio, I worked at a gay and lesbian bookstore uh, oh. called an What's open that? an open book, right? Oh, oh God. God! Well, that's that's the story of that. Yeah. I was there when it all started to fall apart. Oh my gosh! I don't know if you are familiar with um, Circus of Books documentary. Of course, yeah, I okay. haven't seen it. But man, did I have an emotional reaction watching that because I, when they started talking about how the gay business started failing and how everything went online, right. I remember when people would come into the bookstore write down the titles that we had featured as a gay bookstore and then leave. Oh, that's so... And we so knew they were going they to, were like, doing to Amazon. Or, or Barnes & Noble, right? Yeah. Um, so we, I remember that day when we were like, why are people coming in and just writing down our books and leaving? Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember that that talk that we had. Um, but, so I was working in that bookstore. Um, every year in Columbus, Ohio, is the Arnold Classic, which is a bodybuilding competition. Oh, right that on. Arnold Schwarzenegger started. Um, so he comes in every year with his wife, uh, Maria, at the time. Um, and Maria Shriver came into our bookstore, um, looked at, um, our section of, you know, very few children's books and came to the desk and yelled at me for not carrying her book. Really? Yeah. Literally yelled. Yelled, yeah. And so that's one of my badges of honor is that I, uh, Maria Shriver once yelled at me. What, how, how presumptuous. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that. Everything you're thinking is. Oh. But hilarious now. Maybe, I, I you know so what? Funny. Maybe the maid was the more pleasant <laughs> place to be. Are you starting to understand Arnold Schwarzenegger? A bit, yeah. Oh, boy. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that was fun. Oh, man. I, I don't think I ever went to that bookstore. Which, mm. which city was it in, D.C.? Columbus. Columbus. Oh, oh I never went to Columbus. Mm -hmm. But I love a but gay it, bookstore, and I love is, doing readings. It is where I first read your book. Oh, really? Too. Yeah, Miss Adventures yeah. in 312, because yeah. um, part of our job, and what I loved about that job, is that we were um, employed to write reviews of books and to post them. You know? I love it. And love, Sometimes you'd go into a bookstore, and it'll be like, staff choice, and there yeah. would be a little blurb. I That's love it. that. That's it. I blurbed your book once. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And, so sweet. Uh, and you're right. It is like that because, you know, this is a good, this is what I remember. It feels like a lifetime ago. It does. And this is what I remember watching Circus of Books. They talked about how it was like a community space. Yeah. And that's totally how good gay bookstores were then, you yeah. know? People would come in and they would want to read your reviews and they'd be, what are you reading? And let's talk about it, you know? Uh, it was a super magical time for me. Yeah, it was a magical time for me too, doing, yeah. going to those bookstores and doing events and oh, sure. seeing other authors and things like that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and talking yeah. with people who've read your work. Like, what, yeah. an, what an exceptional thing as an artist to be able to talk to someone who's read your work. My eyes have gotten so blurry. Oh, sure. What's this question? Um, what was the first album, cassette, CD, or MP3 you ever bought? Yeah. Um, I'm very proud of this one. Um, it was uh, Wilson Phillips. Uh, debut album. Fuck, we could do an hour on them too. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, that is one I would never be embarrassed by. You're in love? Yes. The way it should I be. I mean, yeah, because I want you to be happy. Yeah, you know what's funny is that I, I, if you take that album and you just you could split it down the middle, half of the songs are like "Hold On to That Man," yeah, and then half the songs are "Baby, You've Just Got to Release Me." Yeah, it's one really, or the other. Exactly. Dream exactly. is still alive. <laughs> okay, what's this one say? That one says, uh, "What movie have you seen more than any other?" Mm. Um, I can ask a lot. What my favorite movie is. Um, well, up there pretty high is Girls Will Be Girls, which oh, I wow. introduced so many people to that. I'm amazed how many gays don't know that movie, yeah. honestly. Because for me, it's like, you know, screw like Mean Girls and Jawbreaker. Right. Like, Girls Will Be Girls is so much more iconically gay to me. Yeah, I love it. Um, but no, the movie I've seen the most um, goes back to what I was saying about when I do my dissertation on Shirley Jackson originally, um, The Haunting mm. uh, from the 1960s, uh, I think is the best haunted house movie ever made. 
I think it's the haunted house movie that every other haunted house movie tries to mimic. Tries to be. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Okay. What's the most memorable Halloween costume you've worn? Um, I love Halloween. Um, it's probably my favorite. Right. Um, but I have a tradition with my niece. We are going on uh, five years now where she, I travel to Florida every Halloween. She dresses up as whatever Disney princess she wants to be. Right. And then I find something to coordinate to with, with it. it. Yeah. That's so hard. we've been Belle and Gaston. We've okay. been um, Moana and Maui. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Um, this year. How old is she now? She is six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, oh, we did uh, King Triton and Ariel. Nice. Uh, one year. This year it's going to be Wreck It Ralph. And I think Penelope is the yeah. girl character. Cute. Yeah, so that's always my favorite. Aww. I really look forward to every Halloween and doing that with her. What does this one say? This says, what was the first concert you went to? Okay. I'm also proud of this. Uh, B-52s. Okay. Uh, Violent Femmes opening. Good choice. Yeah. You're I, super into the 52s. I was. I yeah. was. I, you know, I... Uh, I, I always hope for the return of, like, fun rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every time we enter into this kind of whiny period. Grungy emo. Of, yeah, yeah, of rock. I get so bored. Yeah. And I'm like, please bring back fun rock. Bring us Hanson. Yes. I will take Hanson yeah. any day over. I, I, I do remember at the end of the down. 90s and the Spice Girls yeah. sort of came in at the end of grunge. And it was, like, such a relief. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Absolutely. Okay. What does that say? This says... Um, have you ever written a fan letter or email? Yeah. Um, I did. When I was a kid, what I thought of with that question is, when I was a kid, there was a TV show on that I was obsessed with called Friday the 13th, the series. Oh, wow. Do you remember this? No. It was um, a, a horror show about um, a cursed antique store. Okay. Um, that the owner made a deal with the devil, and he kind of needful things like um, those cursed antiques went out, and the devil did his dirty work. Um, and then in come the new owners, and they have to collect all of those cursed antiques. Nice. I loved that show so much that I wrote a script, and I sent it to them. Oh, Hoping wow. that they would make it into an episode. But they didn't. No. But you loved it. Sorry. Okay. We got to go soon. We're going yeah, to see yeah. Love Connie. Two more yes. questions. Um, uh, any scars or tattoos or stories? Well, you have lots a, of this tattoos. This is a big one. I don't yeah. know if you want all this. Well, tell me one of your favorite tattoo stories. So my um, right arm, I have um, uh, a flock of birds okay. flying around my arm, and they're coming out of a quill feather. Um, it, below it, it says rise. And right. It, this is in the handwriting from the Declaration of Independence. Nice. This is my independence from my PhD tattoo. Oh, okay. Uh, when I first got it. And then um, from my elbow up, each new bird on there, and, I, and I'm going to say I have five, is a new professorship I've gotten. Okay. So with each awesome. new professorship, I get a new bird to I cover love it. Yeah. That's very cool. And your last question you picked was, what's your favorite souvenir from a job? <laughs> I mean, this is going to be a weird one, but um, I worked with a terrible company uh, who will remain nameless, um, a gay internet company. And my job was to be an editor and edit their content. Mm -hmm. um, they fired me. And then brought in someone younger and with less experience that they didn't have to pay as much. Mm. Um, Tell us all the time. I know, right? Um, I went on unemployment benefits for a few months. And then, of course, this kid couldn't do the job that I did. Right. So they called me back and they said, hey, we want to we offer you your job back. We're really sorry about what happened. And I said, well, fuck you very much. Click. Yeah. Right? They call back 10 minutes later and they say, just want to let you know that um, we've informed the unemployment agency that you've been offered a job. And, you know, if you don't take a job that you're offered on unemployment, then you lose your benefits. I don't know if you're aware of that. 
Those fuckers. Right, right. Exactly. So awful people. Um, and I had gotten into grad school, so I knew that I was going to be doing that in a couple months, but I, I needed a paycheck till then. Sure. So I took the job back, you know, gritted my teeth and just pretend like everything was nice. And over that, I think like two months that I worked there until grad school started, I slowly deleted every file that was necessary to do my job. Damn. So that's your favorite souvenir? Yeah, that was great. Or deleted files. It's, it's information. That's the currency of the future. Shit a brick. <laughs> You're like a bad seed. <laughs> We've come full circle. Yes, that's so delicious. Now I know why I like Those it so much. Fuckers. Right. Would you get a little clunk that you know when something hits the garbage can, at least on a Mac, it makes yeah. a noise. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cunning little. Right. Did it ever did they ever say anything when after oh, you sure. left? Sure, you know, they threatened yeah. to sue me and I was like, You don't even know how I do my jobs to prove those files were over there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's a lifetime ago. Well, wow. That's a new side of Andy. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, People need to keep an eye out for this documentary that you're in. Yes. And how can they learn more about what you do? Yeah. So, uh, Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street is the name of the documentary. If you go to screenqueendocumentary.com, find out all the information. There. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. All right. And your website is? Uh, A, D as in David, Scahill, S-C-A-H-I-L-L.com. And you can see a lot of his writings about film and the kind of classes he teaches, his books, so, all that stuff. You're a delight. I'm glad I know you. I'm glad you reached out to me on Friendster or whatever it was. <laughs> Years ago. I know. And here we are all again, and we're going to see Love Connie. All right. Yeah. That's it. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Andy Scahill for doing the pod. You can learn about his work at adscahill.com. All right. So this happened. Um, my very sweet friend, Rebecca, was nice enough to treat me to a night out, and we went to see... Hannah Gatsby. She got a lot of attention last year for a Netflix special called Nanette, and she is back with a new show. Um, and Nanette was very um, well well reviewed, um, well received, but also a little controversial because she sort of deconstructs her comedy. It's not always funny. She talks about how trauma is part of what generated her comedy, but maybe now she wants to move past it. So it was really a thought provoking special, very different than uh, your average stand-up special. So this was her follow-up. I don't want to give away too much of what it was about, but I will say it was very exciting to see how she followed up something like that, where she was sort of kind of moving away a little bit from stand-up or questioning why she was in it and and how healthy it was for her. Um, But she has come up with something, again, that's really thought-provoking and interesting and very, very funny. What I thought was interesting is um, on the way in, they put your, they gave you like this little pouch, sort of like foam pouch, kind of cloth foam pouch for your cell phone, and then they locked it. So you could keep your phone with you, but you couldn't use it. Because I think with comedy, people recording things, that's a death. Isn't it weird, like like with musicians, you still want to hear your favorite songs no matter how many times you've heard them. But with comedy, once you've heard the bit, you're kind of like, oh, I don't need to see that show. Anyway... They locked up everybody's cell phones and then gave them back to unlocked them on the way out. It was kind of like, okay, this is the way we're going. I get it. It works. All right. So I can't wait to see how she does with the show. I, I imagine she's probably going to make another Netflix special with it. And um, then the world will get to see it. And I'll get to see it again and, and uh, miss all the stuff that I didn't catch the first time. Or catch all the stuff that I didn't get the first time. All right. That's enough for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.